Hello and welcome to this episode of Human Rights Magazine. My name is Derek McCush. Yarmouk is a neighborhood just outside Damascus. Before the eruption of the conflict in Syria in 2011, it was the largest community of Palestinian refugees in the world and was considered the capital of the Palestinian diaspora. People in Yarmouk lived in cement block homes crowded together with commercial services found in urban centers such as schools, grocery shops, pharmacies, and so on. Now the area is mostly rubble. What does the future hold for Yarmouk and for the Palestinian people who live there? Emma Belouni explores the issue in this episode of Human Rights Magazine. Since the beginning of the Syrian civil war, more than 10 years ago, around 160,000 Palestinian Syrians have fled al Yarmouk camp. The camp, which is located in the district of Damascus, is now mostly destroyed. It witnessed clashes between the Syrian government forces and the rebels, a siege and ISIS occupation. For this podcast, I spoke with Wissam Sabani. He was born in al Yarmouk and he is now the director of the Jafra Foundation which him and his friends originally created to provide al Yarmouk's youth with life and job skills training. Today, the foundation is an NGO providing relief, educational and psychological support to Palestinian refugees and their host community. It is also one of the largest Palestinian civil society group in Syria. Most of the houses in Saudi Yarmouk have been uh, destroyed. So the damage is so big and not many people still have anything inside your mook, like inside their homes, because uh, most of them has been looted. But now there is around 1,200 family which went back to your mookam and they have rehabilitated a little bit of their homes and uh, they are trying to survive because you cannot support the rent in, in Damascus and the economical situation that is very difficult now in Syria in general. I then spoke with Osama Musa. He was also born and raised in Al Yarmouk camp. He left Syria in March 2014 for Lebanon, from where he was able to obtain a visa for Canada in 2019. He has worked in the humanitarian sector for almost 10 years, and he's now a program coordinator at the Sekhdev Foundation, a Canadian think tank. People who were displaced, they are totally broke. They lost all their financial means. They don't have any kind of livelihood. And sometimes they are living with their relatives or people even they don't know. Three, four families in a small apartment in Damascus with a lot of security restrictions by the Syrian security. And those are displaced or strangers to the neighborhood. And all what they want, they just want to go back to their houses in Yarmoukam. And these houses are no longer exist. In fact, Yarmouk camp was a very special Palestinian camp. Yeah, it was the capital of Palestinian refugee for many reasons. One of them is that it was a very crowded Palestinian camp, which counted between 200-250,000 Palestinians, but also around 500-600,000 Syrians in the camp itself. Besides this, uh, this camp is the headquarters of all the Palestinian political parties since the beginning of the Palestinian modern uh, revolution. Also, it was a very cultural 
camp, which is also has a lot of center, cultural centers, youth clubs and youth organizations. I think the main thing that make it more special is that it was also a very uh, uh, active uh, and kind of economical and productive area. That is, uh, this camp was containing very big markets of clothes, uh, cars. Most of your mood people have evacuated because of the crisis and because of what happened to your mood camp. So a big number of Palestinians have left Syria and reached uh, Lebanon and Turkey. And some of them are in Jordan. Also big number have reached Europe and other countries. And also big uh, number around 70,000 to 125,000 is uh, around the Palestinian camp itself in Damascus. Since 2018, it was very difficult to enter to Yarmouk. There was a very strict uh, security procedure, which also make many people afraid to enter to Yarmouk camp. Procedure now is more easy for people to go and see their homes. But if you are in Lebanon or in Turkey or in Jordan, of course, you will not come to see your house because you will not guarantee that you will come back to this country. Because Palestinian is not allowed to access Lebanon or Jordan or Turkey or any other place. Normally, the Palestinian refugee is uh, under the mandate of uh, United Nations uh, Relief and Work Agency. In the meantime, Norway is facing a big funding gap because of the international uh, policy and the Trump administration has uh, cut the funding for Norway. Also because many other states is uh, donating for Syria and for other crises. So Palestinian refugee crisis is beginning to, to not be that much uh, uh, interesting. The legal status of Palestinian Syrians and the level of barriers we face whenever we want to apply for anything, including if you just want to study. It's much more complicated for Palestinian Syrians to get to Lebanon because it depends on how they identify uh, the Palestinians. Will they treat them as Syrians because they carry travel document issued by the Syrian government or are they going to treat them as refugees? Because if you are Balsian from Syria, you don't have a, Syri uh, a passport, you have a travel document. And this makes them deal with you like any refugee from Africa or any country, which is very difficult in Lebanon. Sometimes you don't need the passport as Syrian up to 2014 to enter Lebanon. Then because of the number of Syrians managed to reach Lebanon as refugees, they change the procedure, they make it more complicated for Syrians. But for Palestinians, it became kind of impossible. You need to get a security permission, which is completely not clear how to get it. You need to know someone who will submit a request. You have no right to work. The residency, you have to renew it every three months, like you are a foreigner visiting Lebanon. But weirdly, to apply, you need to leave Lebanon every three months and come back, but you cannot leave. So they will just have you come to the general security in Lebanon, declare what you are doing, where are you living, etc. Apply again without leaving the country, but this will just give more and more anxiety to people. And every one year they need to pay the fees for residency. It's about $200. In most of the cases, they have no source of income. And most of the cases, the United Nations or the UNRWA was covering these fees by paying it directly to the Lebanese government on an annual basis. And when they don't pay it, the Palestinian Syrians in Lebanon will pay the price. I'm talking about like individual, but just imagine a family 
with like five or six members that they need to do this and pay $200 annually. So it took about like over $1,000, which is impossible for those people that they are not even allowed to work. The Palestinian Syrians were completely lost. They were the most vulnerable. Most of them choose just to leave in many ways, including legal immigration or like my case and my mom were able to manage secure, let's say, legal settlement to Canada. For women, there are even more obstacles. On top of the economic and legal constraints, they also face unjust power dynamics. When you are talking about getting to cross the border to a more safe place, the priority will be given to the civilian men because they are either going to be recruited by one of like the armed groups, if they are in opposition area, or they have the military service imposed by the Syrian government on all male uh, above 18. So the, always the priority will be given to them while mostly girls or women will be kind of lost case because all the limited financial resources or even opportunities to escape the country will be given first to men because the direct risk on them, on their life is obvious, while the forgetting uh, people will be mostly women. Uh, and also it's worth to mention women at that case, they need to deal with what we just mentioned, that there's a war, there's a conflict, there's a lot of unprecedented situation changing every day, day with a lot of risk around them, but also they are around unjust power dynamic. Because although they are trying to survive and manage the basic livelihood for themselves and their family or household, they are being faced by the power dynamic that they are not those who's deciding how the, the resources will be managed. If there is like limited resources, let's say, of food in the camp. In Jordan camps or in Lebanon camps, uh, women will be prioritized because they have children. Had, uh, they are like the bread owner for their children what we're going to eat today. And if we don't find something to eat, the children will starve. And they did starve. And some children and stuff, like some elderly, talking about like 170 almost, lost their life because of this. Musa and Sabani both agree that because of the economic and political situation in Syria today, it is still too early to speak about reconstruction. I remember a lot of surveys conducted and 2015, 2016, funded by EU because they were the main uh, affected uh, because of the displacement and also the illegal immigration, even it's like just refugees trying to find the safe heaven for them and their children. But the question will be, are you willing to go back to Syria? This is what you see in the study. Then the options will be like, what's the lapse or like if uh, the regime changed, if it's like saved, if the rebuilding started, if ISIS was defeated. Blah, blah, blah. So there's these options. So there's a condition. Even the Lebanese or Syrians are trying to escape the issue, not going back. The conflict has not finished yet. It's still ongoing. From the detainees, we are talking about tens of thousands of people still like firstly disappeared. 12 mil million are forced displaced. The chaos is still ongoing. Nothing changed, honestly, just that it's going out. Nothing was really tackled in a, in a good way. There's no like negotiation and then they decided that now we are talking about like post-conflict. I understand because it's like the fatigue now, it's finished, it's 10 years of war. Yeah, it's 10 years of war, not post-conflict. So the questions will be asked in a super out of context. Sometimes I can't say it's not ethical. If you do the same study in Canada, you could take those asking to the courts 
because it's not ethical. It's not taking uh, care of the mental health of people. They are not taking the context into consideration. And they are asking people, they are super vulnerable, having high expectations because a humanitarian worker or someone who's coming from the West to ask them. So they would have hopes or expectations. So if they say that, yeah, we are willing, those people have somehow uh, power to go back to their countries and help to fix the situation. And for people, anyone in this world, like they ask them, do you want to go back to your country? I am Palestinian. Yeah, I want to, I want to go back. It's fine. It's where my father was displaced or it's thickly cleansed from, but like how and when, this is the question that's not being applied most of the, most of the cases like when they are conducting the studies. Few months after the Russian and the Syrian government were able to regain a lot of areas in Syria. This was 2018, if I'm not mistaken. So the discussion and the media, the local media, the governmental one was advocating and talking about now we took back the, let's say, the areas were controlled by the opposition. It's safe now. Let's rebuild it. So this news or this rumors were giving to people and this like false hope was giving to people during that time. But now it's 2020. Nothing happened. Even the rebels weren't even removed from the camp until now, until now, until today, after three years from that. Last week, there was a report from the Guardian revealed a horrifying video of people being just thrown in a giant hole and just being killed. While like the military security officer of the, the regime is are recording this crime in the middle of the day. At least their family finally got to know what happened to their son through this video. So a lot of things need to be changed in the political, economical aspect and also social cohesion and making sure that people are safe when they go back. We are not there yet at all. And on top of, of all of that, when you want to rebuild, and there are a lot of like ex experts on this, there's a lot of aspects that needs also to be taken into consideration planning wise. If you will rebuild this area, but in two, three years, you will have a conflict. It's just hiding the problem under the carpet. For now, even the alliance of the, let's say the regime, or those who still have fine relation with them and they still have funds or they are wealthy countries like China, they are not investing because of this, not because they are not willing or they don't want because the situation is not fine to do such investment and you never know what will happen. Reconstruction is a political decision because even the Syrian government or whatever, whatever who is speaking about a reconstruction of Syria by, you know, speaking by numbers will need at least uh, hundreds of billions of dollars. And this is a international community and big international bank and uh, decision. And this is a political one. And uh, until now, I don't see uh, any motivation from big money Western countries of reconstruction, mainly because of uh, political uh, and justice. And I think reconstruction will come with the uh, political settlement of the, of the, of the area. Now we speak about early recovery or livelihood. Not, not reconstruction. And I don't think uh, anybody is ready for uh, peace uh, settlement or agreement on that. And I don't think also it's only related to Syria and the regime and opposition. There's many players who decide on this, like uh, 
روسيا ايران تركيا يونايتد ستيت اند يوروب كوميشن اند جيرماني اند وي ويت انتل دي اجري اباوت ذا سوليوشن اذروايز وي كانت سبيك اباوت ريكونستراكشن اندر سانكشنز اون بانكس اند ماني ترانسفير اند اني فاينانس اكتيفيتي ذس دازنت ورك So this is, doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon, even if they were successfully able to reconstruct the account. But if they were reconstructed as a, another neighborhood without saving the identity of the account, a massive legacy will be demolished. That means that it's no longer will be treated the account. So all the special identity the account used to represent, it will be gone. And it's going to be just here monk without the word even camp. So the political and geopolitical aspects for Palestinians will be completely demolished. Especially when you're talking about areas with cultural inheritance or political inheritance, like the case of Yarmouk camp. Are these going to be taken into consideration? Or like what happened in uh, parts of downtown Beirut? It used to be popular souks or markets for like normal people. Now it's one of the most expensive, luxurious areas in the, the city that people call it like ghosts uh, downtown because nobody can afford to go there except to work. So it's going to be taking into consideration uh, this aspect, like who used to live there? Are we going to follow the Syrian dictator about uh, a harmonized Syria? He used this term, I believe the first time it was 2014, then 2016. And then recently, like one year ago, that no need for those who left to come back, but he didn't say it, obviously. He said it like, it, it, it's the positive side of what happened in Syria, that now we can have more harmonized population. Also, there is a big problem now facing all Syria, not only Palestinians in Syria, about legal beer bars and ownership and all this. Many people lost their original papers. Many facilities for government who has the arch archive of these papers has been burned out or messed up. Someone in Damascus lost his paper or lost his father and the home is in his father's name. They don't know he's alive. They don't have a proof he's alive or he's dead. The property is in danger. And this is happening a lot in Yarmouk camp, especially Most of the people of Yarmouk has uh, been traveled. Some buildings which was shared ownership has been uh, blowed up and nobody knows where is uh, a specific location. And this will create a big problems in, on the future. Palestinians in Syria were very active people, uh, economically, socially, cultural. Uh, you have many big writers, stars of TV, or leaders of the Palestinian movement, universities, doctors, engineers, uh, all this. Education situation of Palestinians in Syria was very good because people believe that they have to take care about their education to have a future, especially refugees. Now what we see is that there's a big, big hope that this will come back, but there is big difficulty, especially with the collapse of UNRWA situation and the international aid and the collapse of internal economical situation in Syria because of the sanctions and because of the war and because of the infrastructure damage. And I think there is international responsibility that should be talked about in, in kind of political, but also humanitarian support to reconstruct thank you for listening to this episode of human rights magazine 
The podcast is brought to you by the Upstream Journal. I invite you to consider supporting the program and the magazine with a contribution through PayPal as you explore other episodes.